0: Let me begin with a joke I just heard a couple of days back by a preacher here in America. Now, I'll twist the joke a little bit. So, there was this grandfather. He had two grandsons living with him and these boys were very troublesome. And often and on, the school will report that they have caused one trouble or the other And in the neighborhood also, people will come to report to the grandfather, your boys have created this trouble and that trouble. So the trouble were too many, too many for the grandfather. So he decided he was going to take these boys to see the priest of his church so that the priest at least could do something to help them from their troublesome behavior. So he took the younger son first to the priest. And so... He dropped the boy with the priest and he stayed outside and the boy sat down with the priest and the priest, in trying to make the little boy understand that he needs God in his life, the priest started by asking him one question. He said to the boy, where is God? And the boy was quiet. He said to the boy again, where is God? And the boy was quiet. And then he said the third time for the boy, where is God? And then the boy got up and took off, shot out of the door, ran home, and told his older brother, God is missing and they think we did it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Can you imagine? The little boy thought they accusing him of stealing God. <laughs> so the priest is looking for God. Okay now today today we are talking about i want to talk about the holy spirit the baptism of the holy spirit and fire now this is a very huge topic we can spend months believe me teaching on just the holy spirit and fire months teaching on it so i don't think i would do a good job under 10 minutes but you bear with me please What I want to try to do this morning is to try and try to make us understand um, who the Holy Spirit is and what He is and why we need Him. And perhaps how we can get Him, you know, find Him, you know, like the story. (laughs) Maybe the Holy Spirit is lost somewhere. So how can we find him back? So we read in Acts chapter 8, Philip went to Samaria and preached, and the people got converted. They became Christians, and perhaps he baptized them in water. And then we read that they sent message to Jerusalem, to the apostles, and then they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And... When they got to Samaria, they prayed for these Christians. They were already Christians. They received Jesus Christ, and perhaps they have been baptized in water. Yet, the apostles came, prayed for them, to do what? To receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't claim to understand all of that. I I don't claim to understand all of that. But my rational mind tells me, didn't they receive the Holy Spirit when Philip preached to them and they repented and they got converted and they became Christians? Didn't they receive the Holy Spirit? Didn't they have the Holy Spirit? I think they did. Then why would Peter and John lay hands on them to, be, to receive the Holy Spirit again? And then we were told that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And we didn't read this part, but it's part of the story. There was a man who was a magician in that town who saw the actions of the Holy Spirit in the people when they received it, or received him, and he paid money to Peter and John. Say, can you give me this power so that whomsoever I lay my hands on will also receive the Holy Spirit? Now that tells me that that man saw something. That is why he wanted to pay for it. The Holy Spirit was not passive. in this context, because if it was passive, if Peter and John had said, receive the Holy Spirit, and all of us just sat calmly, cool and collected, I don't think that man would have said, I want to pay to have this power. No, he he wouldn't have seen anything. He would have said, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is that all about the Holy Spirit? Okay, I see. Nothing, quiet. But he must have seen something that happened when Peter and John laid hands on those people. And what he saw impressed him, and he wanted it badly. He wanted to pay to get it, the power. Of course, Peter said, your mind is not clean. You think you could buy the power of God with money? Go and repent. Now the point I'm making is, the Holy Spirit is not passive, like most of us think. It's not just sitting here or sitting there or sitting in you and me quietly. No, he's active, and people can tell. When the Holy Spirit becomes active in your life or my life, people can't tell. There are so many signs. Okay, so off to John the Baptist. People came to him. Wow, John, you are a great man. Are you the Christ? Oh no, I'm not. The Christ is coming. I'm not worthy to untie his shoes. When he comes, he is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John said that. I baptize you with water, but the Christ will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Where is the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life? I read, I tried to read some stories before coming here to preach. Saint Augustine of Hippo had a defining moment in his life. Saint Augustine of Hippo, the guy who was instrumental in so many things, in a book especially called The Confessions, he said his defining moment in his life was the day that. He was in Milan, in Rome, and he was a professor. And that day, he took his Christian faith personally. I don't know what that means, (laughs) but maybe you do. He said he took his Christian faith, I'm not quoting him verbatim, I'm just paraphrasing, please. He took his Christian faith personally. He wanted to have a personal experience of Christ. And that transformed his life. That began the change in his Christian work, in his spiritual work with God. Martin Luther of Germany, the guy among others who was responsible for you know, protestant movement and the protestant churches, so to say, He said his own defining moment was when he was teaching and lecturing as well as a professor. And he was teaching the book of Romans. And then he saw in the book of Romans that salvation is by faith alone in Christ. And not by penance, not by good works. And that was his defining moment when he put his personal faith in Christ his death on the cross and that changed his life transformed him and that began the movement the 1990s and then the beginning of the protestant church the breaking away of Germany the church in Germany and things like that now where is the Holy Spirit in your own personal life What is your defining moment in Christianity, in your Christianity? Jesus, in Acts chapter one, around verses six, seven, tells, he told the disciple, Peter, James, and John, and the others, do not go, do not leave Jerusalem after the resurrection, he said, wait until you receive the Holy Spirit, and we were told in Acts chapter two, verses one to four, that on the day of Pentecost, Pentecost, for your information, if you don't know, is a festival. Okay, so first, Pentecost was a festival that has been happening even before Jesus was born. Okay, so the Jews they keep the feast of festival, where they all come from all over the world to Jerusalem for the sacrifice and they eat and drink. So that festival was going on that day, and the disciples were in the upper room, or whatever, top of the house. And then the Holy Spirit came upon them. And we were told that there was a sound of a mighty rushing wind, and then there was an appearance of clothing tongues as of fire, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues. Mind you, The disciples did not understand the tongues they were preaching, or they were speaking. Okay? The disciples were 120 people speaking in tongues, speaking in different languages, or at least speaking in 120 different languages. But they did not understand what they were saying. Peter didn't come and say, hey, guys, this is what I'm saying. I want to interpret it for you. No. They were speaking in tongues. They didn't know what they were saying. They were speaking rubbish, like some of us we, see, we think. They were speaking gibberish. But no, they were speaking in tongues, in an unknown language. They didn't know what they were saying. The Holy Spirit gave them the utterance. But the people outside understood what they were saying. So it was the people who understood, not they. They didn't understand. Anyway, great controversy there. But my point is, there was the sign of... Fire that came upon them. Like John the Baptist said, the Christ will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, several places in the book of Acts tells us about people receiving the Holy Spirit. For instance, the first Gentile, the first non-Jewish person who received the Holy Spirit and his family was a man called Cornelius. Cornelius. He was a Roman soldier, a Roman officer, a general. He saw a vision of an angel. And the angel said, Send for Peter to show you the way. And so Peter came after arguing with God three times when he saw the vision. He went and we were told that as he was telling them about Jesus Christ who died on the cross and rose up again for their salvation, that they believed him. And immediately before he finished preaching, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And we are told that they spoke in tongues also. But this time, they didn't tell us if anybody understood what they were saying. Nobody said, oh yeah, Cornelius, you are speaking in my language, I understood. No, they just spoke in tongues. And that's it, nobody understood it. That's the second, or if you like, maybe the third place, apart from Acts chapter 8. I think the final place is Acts chapter 19, where Paul went to... um, Ephesus, he saw 12 men, they were believers, and then he asked them, have you been baptized in Christ? They said, no, we are baptized by John, or after John's preaching. He said, no, John spoke, spoke Christ, and Christ has come. You need to accept Christ. They say, we believe. He baptized them. That's what the Bible says. Paul baptized these 12 men, and then, after baptism, he laid his hands on them, and the Bible says they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke in tongues they prophesy. Now, I'm not here to convince you to start speaking in tongues. No, please. I'm just trying to explain the Holy Spirit, right? In the Anglican tradition, which is Episcopalian in America, the, the, um, the, the how do I say it? All right, let's just say it anyhow. The, <laughs> the prayers for the Holy Spirit to be to, to be given to us is done by the bishop, and that is mostly in the time of confirmation, when people come for the confirmation service where the bishop laid his hands on them. Uh, I can't remember what the bishop said here. I can't remember because it's new to me. But I remember what our bishops say in Nigeria. They say like they say something like, "Receive the Holy Spirit," you know, when they lay hands for confirmation, which is good, which I believe in. But I am, I am thinking that many of us need to move a step further than that. We need to ask ourselves, like the priest asked that young boy, where is God? You know, I try, I'm not perfect, but I, I, I try to be honest and sincere. I believe in being sincere, even in religion. I don't do religion just for religion. Yeah, I do it because I believe it works. If it doesn't work, I won't do it. Except I'm forced, you know, so that I can collect my salary. (laughs) But truly, if I'm left alone, I will not do it. I would say, I don't believe this, it doesn't work. So move a step further. Where is the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life? Do you have a defining moment that you can say, you can point to when the Holy Spirit came into your life can you point to a defining moment in your life as a Christian when the Holy Spirit became active in your life please I'm begging us this is very serious believe me the Holy Spirit is the true essence apart from Christ apart from Christ the Holy Spirit is the true essence of Christianity believe me The Holy Spirit is the real reason why you are a Christian. Believe me. Okay, like I told you, it will take months to teach on the Holy Spirit. So, I feel I should stop here. <laughs> but let me say two things that the Holy Spirit will help you if you take that step to seek for Him to become active in your life. If you take that step, not just having Him possibly Yes, it's there with you, but Holy Spirit, I want you to become active in my life, please. Two things will happen to you. One, Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict men, women, people of their sin. So when the Holy Spirit comes into you, he helps you to recognize when you sin, when you are going wrong, when you are moving away from God. The Holy Spirit helps you to be humble, to acknowledge your sin and to confess it. There are many people who don't acknowledge sin. In fact, today in the church, maybe, in the, maybe, maybe mostly in the western church, people don't know what sin is anymore. Believe me. If I throw it open now, let's discuss it, you will hear so many opinions. People don't know what sin is. They don't know what is sin. They don't, some don't believe there's anything like sin. They go, oh. But the Holy Spirit will help you to know. In the midst of the confusion, the Holy Spirit will tell you, no, this is wrong, this is wrong. You are wrong in this, you are wrong in this. Believe me. And to, to help you to be humble, you will say, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, no, forgive me. This same practice goes within relationships. Husband and wife, parents and children, colleagues, staff, the Holy Spirit will tell you when you are wronging your neighbor, when you are wronging your spouse, when you are wronging your children, when you are wronging your parents or whatever, neighbors. He will tell you. You might not know it. You might think, well, this is the practice. This is the culture. This is how we live our life. This is what people do. This is how we do this business. This is how we do this job. This is how we relate to people like these people of this, people of that. The Holy Spirit will say, no. You are not like that. You are a Christian. This is wrong. The Holy Spirit will help you, believe me, to know that. Finally, the Holy Spirit will help you to overcome sin. Think about that. I'm not saying it's gonna make you sinless. No, nobody will be sinless until we die and leave this world, but sometimes, you might experience sinlessness in a brief period of time. Some of us have. Yeah, you can live a whole day without sin. Believe me, it's possible. But of course, you can't live your whole life without sin. It's not possible, (laughs) you are human. But the Holy Spirit will help you overcome sin. Overcome means to stop sin. Believe me, believe me. You know, before I received the Holy Spirit, I used to think that there are certain sins I cannot stop. It's not possible. It's in my blood. It's in my genes. I am created like that. I am made like that. I can't help it. It's God's fault. Or maybe God. But when I received the Holy Spirit, I was in high school. Believe me. There is no sin in my life that I accept as part of me. I fight every sin I know every day to stop it. I don't fight it like, oh, I'm helpless, I'm weak, oh, I'm frustrated, no, 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 no. I fight it like, hey, I'm victorious, I'm champion, I'm defeating you. Believe me, that is, for me, is the greatest testimony of Christianity. When a Christian can stand to the public and say, I have what it takes to defeat my sinfulness. Holy Spirit. That is what Christ offers to the church and that is what gives the church the witness as the light, the light of the world. That's what the world is looking for. That's what they will see and they will come to church and believe in Christ. Amen.